Hey, New Life family, welcome to the weekly podcast. We want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. We hope this message encourages you and helps you in some way today move forward in your relationship with Christ and others. We pray God blesses you wherever you are today. Now enjoy the message. I I was going to use that little one down there tonight, but I, I thought I'd better stand up here because I, I am going to, if I get down there, I'll start preaching. And so maybe if I'm up here, I'll be a little bit more confined. Don't hate on me. I was told earlier in a text that I could preach until 11 o'clock. So that's three hours. I, I might be able to stretch it to then. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't keep you that long. I will say... I will say that these types of settings tend to, I noticed a couple things about them. One, they are not my strength because, I'll say this, it's, it's, it's not my strength because I am a person that I like to exegese the scripture. I like to go line by line. I like to dig into the understanding, the background, the wording of it, the culture in which it was spoken, written. And so I like to do all that. In these kinds of settings, you can't really do that, at least for this specific conference. So I've really been praying this past week that the Holy Spirit would just lead and guide. Secondly, I have also found this to be very true that in settings like this, God does some of the deepest work. Oftentimes, we wait for one, a Sunday morning, or we'll wait for what what is typified as a big conference, a big revival, a big name somebody coming in. But I want you to know through my 20 years of pastoral experience and then just speaking in all different places, uh, churches and, and the like, that it's in moments like these where it tends to be not as uh, spotlighted on any one particular person or people that the Holy Spirit, when allowed to, uh, does his deepest work. Because we tend to have a we tend to drop our guard a little bit and, and we just allow him to move. And so I do want to speak to you a few moments on something that I've entitled Soul Care. If you happen to be here and you're just here to support and you're here uh, just to help serve and you happen to be married, please don't check out because I believe that what is going to be taught tonight does not determine based whether you need it or not, whether you have a ring on your finger or not. It is based whether you have a soul or not. And all of us here have a soul because we were all created in the image and the likeness of God. And what I have also found is when I have been genuine with the Holy Spirit, he has revealed things about my soul that I wouldn't allow him to reveal at a previous time, whether that be when I was single or whether that be when I was just growing and maturing in God. For whatever reason, I was stubborn in certain areas. I was, I was uh, blocked in certain areas. Maybe I didn't quite hear in certain areas. Or maybe I just didn't have the same opinion, and so therefore I didn't think it was necessary. 
And I did what Pastor Tim talked about earlier is, is I capped myself there. And then once I started living life, once I started becoming a wife, once I became a mother, once I became a grandmother, once I became a pastor, once I became a leader, guess what? I had to deal with those same issues that God was trying to deal with way back here. And see, oftentimes we think, well, if I just get married, well, if I just get in ministry, well, if I could just be a mom, well, if I could just be a dad, well, when I become a grandparent or when I get, get my education figured out, when I get successful career or whatever it is, then we think all the puzzle pieces are just going to come together like a, like a building block. But I'm telling you, what's wrong with your soul now is going to be wrong with your soul then. And just because you suppress it now doesn't mean God forgot about it. And he will dig up and he will reveal and he will move things around so that you deal with things so won't you just tell the Holy Spirit God I'll deal with it tonight I'm going to deal with it tonight and I allow you to deal with it tonight a lot of the scriptures that I'm going to allude to and reference to will be up there but I always like it I understand maybe you don't have your physical Bible here, but most of us have a smartphone. Hopefully you have the Bible app and you can open it up. I apologize ahead of time because I won't be able to exegese these scriptures. So if you don't know all the surrounding context, I, I just apologize for the sake of time. I don't have the ability to just uh, make it all fit together and I'm just gonna allude to and reference certain things. But I do want to talk about soul care. And if you will turn with me to Genesis 2, and then I'm going to jump down, and I'm going to jump over to the New Testament of Mark 8. These will be our two main scriptures. Genesis chapter 2 and Mark chapter 8. While you're finding that, can we just give Jonah a good hand for hearing the voice of God, putting this all together, asking people to be a part of this. Thank you, Jonah. And I know Tina helped a lot, and she's... Feeling better, not feeling better? She's home now, okay. Okay, just real quick, right there where you're at. Right there with you're at. If you feel comfortable, grab the person's hand sitting next to you. Let's pray for Miss Tina. She was, she's one of the co-leaders uh, of this, and she was supposed to be here, but she had some issues with her body. God, right now, we just pray for a healing touch in her body. God, that all these symptoms that she's been experiencing, God, her blood pressure and everything else that is contributing to it, God, the nerves, the anxiety, and whatever else may be unknown to us and even unknown to her, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come in. Let the healing virtue flow into her body. God, even as she's at home, let her feel the warmth of your your presence. Let her feel the strengthening in her body. Let all these symptoms be subsided, God, and give her strength in her body and in her mind that she might be able to join us even tomorrow. We will thank you and give you praise, and we believe that you are a God that still heals. You are a God that hears the cries of your people, and your heart is not shut up to to our plights that what we go through in this day and age. So we thank you in advance for her healing and her restoration of her body. God, that it might be a witness and a testimony to all of her family. God, that you have touched and you have healed her in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Now, we're going to talk about soul care. I'm going to try to go a little bit slower than my normal speed. But you can barely open up the Bible. And you can barely begin to talk about God and think about God before you run into the word soul. 
And so it's very prevalent in God's word. You find out where the soul came from, you find out whom created it, and you almost, and I'll dare to say that you even find the purpose of the said soul being delivered into the body of Adam. So you can read about this. Look what it says in Genesis 2, verse 7. This is the creation. This is just the dictation of the creation by the pen of Moses. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Then you can flip over into the New Testament. We're going to specifically read Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. But you can find this same account in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. And it is almost word for word. Matthew 16 and Mark chapter 8, the entirety of those two chapters are very similar in nature. There's only a few adjustments based on the perception and who the authors are writing to. But look what it says through the pen of Mark, and he's writing this. This is a quotation of what Jesus said. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Jesus is is given his audience these questions. He's posing these questions to them. He's saying, what is it going to profit a man if you gain everything that this world has to offer, but in the succession of that and in the process of that, you lose your own soul? And then he follows it up with this. What will a man give in exchange for his own soul. In other words, what is so valuable to you that you're willing to grasp a hold of that and exchange it for what is called the value of your soul? Now, a historian and a famous author, a famous minister, he was part of the Great Awakenings, and I love to read about revival history. This name is Charles Spurgeon, and a quick quotation that I wanted to bring out about this is he summed up these particular scriptures this way by saying this, you can conceive how fearful it is to lose the soul in three ways. First, from its intrinsic value. Second, from its capabilities. And thirdly, from its doom, if it be lost. In other words, in our everyday language, he divides it up into two groups saying that in the span of eternity, the soul has value because your soul is going to go one place or another, either to live with Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit forever or be separated from him into eternal damnation. And then also, so that we don't live our life haphazardly on anticipation of that day, he wants us to understand that our soul today has value for the here and now, that we are not just humdrum, just wishy-washy, willy-nilly, just living our lives however we want to, and then at the last minute, make things right so that our soul goes and lives with God, the creator, that our soul has value even today, and how we live according to that matters, and he, he uses that by saying, Thirdly, from its doom, then it is lost. 
So Jesus, in these set of scriptures from the pen of Mark, he makes these statements, like I said, both in Mark and and Matthew 16. And in both sets of these accounts of these scriptures, Jesus, if you look at the totality of the chapter, Jesus has healed a blind man. He has fed the 4,000. He has warned about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Peter also has declared who Jesus Christ is by saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus gets to this point in both chapters and says, and says for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? In other words, everything from both of these chapters that was happening Happening in a physical sense can be replicated in the spirit. Jesus is saying, I have enough sustenance to feed your soul. I have enough healing power to take blinded eyes from your spiritual eyes. I have enough in me to bring about the light of my word to divide between the pharisaical and the heroic spirits. I have enough mercy that I won't condemn you, but I will draw you to myself. Everything in the natural that Jesus did in these two chapters He is saying by the posing of these scriptures that I can give them to you to benefit your soul. So the question is, what part of those chapters do we want more in our life than we want our soul to be whole? See, oftentimes we don't think like that. God, I would rather be deceived than have my soul whole. God, I would rather have blinded eyes than have my soul whole. I would rather just only care about my physical body than care about the nourishing of my soul. That was Jesus' emphasis in asking these questions. Then you can also flip flip over to the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And you can see that even here through the... We don't really know who the author is. Most suppose it to be Paul. But even if you are in spiritual leadership, you are, you have the weight to care about people's souls. It says this, that their work, speaking of spiritual authority or spiritual leadership, this is what it says. I'm only reading a portion of this scripture. Their work is to be a watchman for your soul, and they are accountable to God. What does that tell us? That tells us many are eager to get into leadership, specifically in our day and age. We have many people that want to be in leadership, spiritual leadership, but they have no concern for people's souls. We have many people that want to hand out a business card with their title and their ministry label, but they have no gravity to the weight that what they are teaching is impacting people's souls. Every time a man or a woman gets behind this podium, you better feel the weight of people's souls that what I am teaching and preaching, is it the principal word of God or is it based upon my own erroneous opinions? Because people are listening and they are taking in. And the author of Hebrews says their job is to be a watchman over your soul. So even this writer describes spiritual leaders that there is an effect. You will affect people's souls one way or another. God writes about it. 
through his dictation of the creation. Jesus comes in in the New Testament and poses two questions. What is it going to gain if you gain everything but you've lost your own soul or you have holes in your own soul? And then in the epistles, even with spiritual leadership, the author is telling us that we are to have a weighty concern that you will impact people's souls. So all throughout the Bible, we see this word and the principle about the soul. So when something is found so frequently in Scripture... We cannot, be af- we cannot afford to be incorrect, and we cannot afford to be elementary. Oh, we have too many elementary teachers in the house of God today. We, in 2022, y'all, we cannot afford to be elementary with the things that God so frequently talks about in Scripture. So when something is found frequently, we must try to read about it, ask the Holy Spirit discernment about it, ask for revelation about it, so that our eyes of our understanding can be opened to it, so that we might understand it even in our human conscience, so that we can walk it out and live it out. We have got to get this soul thing right. Tell your neighbor, you got to get this soul thing right. You got to get it right. There's a lot of things that we can be wrong on, but this soul thing, y'all, we've got to get it right. Look at this. Put up this, Tom. I heard this quote, and I would have given credit to it, but I couldn't remember who said it. I couldn't find it. This is not my speaking. This credit, or this goes, as your soul goes, so does your life. And so often we see things in our life that are not going so well and we try to fix them and we don't realize that we are fixing fruit of action and we are not dealing with the root of the hole in our soul, the pain in our soul. We try to clean up an action and that only works for so many days, for so many months, I'll dare say for so many years, and then boom, something happens. Have you ever thought you was over something, and there was a space of time, whatever that was, and then the person came back into the room, or the situation came back around, or somebody began to talk about it, or or something else happened very similar to it, and all of a sudden, what you thought you were over, what you thought you prayed through, what you thought you even brought to the counselor's couch, you thought everything was worked out, and then boom, it hit you smack in the face, and you're like, God, what is going on? Holy Spirit will often whisper to you, you dealt with an action, but you didn't deal with the hole in your soul. So for clarification, I wanted to give you a working definition of what a soul is so that we are all on the same page and we understand this. Put this up. We must understand it and we must begin to take care of our soul. Look at this. The soul can be defined as this, the mind, the will, the emotion, the imagination, and the affections. Your soul is made up of components of your mind, your will, your emotion, your imaginations, and your affections. 
You are a three-part being. You have a body, and your body is the host to your real being, your soul. But then also in there, you have your spirit, which comes alive when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit comes in, and what was dead has now become alive. And old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. But the only thing is, is I'm dealing with my soul. My spirit is 100% holy. I may be walking in immaturity, but I am 100% righteous. I am 100% holy in my spirit because I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he is holy. He is the fullness of God. He is the fullness of who Jesus is. He resides somewhere here called my spirit. But it's my soul that needs sanctified daily. It's my soul that I have to crucify daily. When Paul talks about you have to crucify your flesh daily, he's not talking about being a literal martyr or being, uh, I forget the technical term, where where you put your body through physical pain. Uh, Back in the day, monks used to do that. They would wear these harnesses around their thighs, around their legs that had spikes on them. And every day they they would squeeze it a little bit tighter and it would cause bruising and cause scarring and they would be bleeding under their robes. Why? Because somehow in this weird doctrinal way, they thought by punishing their body, they were crucifying their flesh. That is not at all what Paul was talking about. He wasn't talking about this physical flesh. He was saying, crucify your soul. When your mind starts overriding the spirit, when your emotions start overriding the spirit, when your affections start overriding the spirit, that's what I got to bring to the altar every single day and say, you cannot control my life anymore, but I'm going to allow the spirit through the Holy Ghost lead me and guide me. So the mind is your organ of thought and your will is the organ of decision. I can think something and not decide to do it. There's a lot of people that have good intentions and have very bad actions. And they never admit to their actions because their intention in their mind was good. Y'all ain't saying nothing. You're acting like, oh, I don't know. I don't know a person like that. Our mind is the organ of thought. Our will is the organ of decision. So I can decide to do something but never go through with it because my emotions will affect my will. And my imaginations will affect my emotions. I'm going to give you a perfect example. I can say yes to going someplace and have perfect intention and motive to show up and be there. But if I hear that somebody else may be there that rubs me the wrong way, my imagination of the conversation. And how I will be perceived. Y'all ain't saying nothing. You're acting like I'm just telling a bunch of fat lies up here. 
my imagination of that conversation or my imagination of how I will be perceived will begin to affect my emotion. And my emotion will gin up fear, anxiety, being overwhelmed, or a combination of all other things. And then what I said yes to with a clear conscience and a clear motive, now all of a sudden, whoo, I got a headache. Oh, I got nasal problems. Oh, man, my knee's broken up. Oh, my back's hurting. Oh, I don't know. I think I'm about to be sick. Are all those things lies? No, they're not really lies. They're effects of the body, but they're the wrong effects because you didn't bring your emotions and your affections and your... Y'all are quiet in here. We have a resident therapist after the service that can help you. I was teasing her. I said, listen, whatever the Spirit of God can do, we're just going to pass out your card and you'll fill up your book for the next three months. So all of these things then, my, my mind, my will, my emotion, my imagination, my affections, all of those things affect my life. And as my soul goes, so does my life. That's why every morning, especially women, let me just talk to you for a moment. Every morning when you get up, one of the first things you need to do as a female, listen, I'm speaking to you because I know firsthand. The first part after you thank the Lord for waking up and letting him know how much you love and appreciate him, the very first thing that you need to do is, Holy Spirit, I trust you with my emotions today. And I submit my emotions to your authority. Please don't let me make decisions based off my emotions today. And I know men have weaknesses too, but I'll let some of the men tomorrow deal with that. I can't deal with them all. (laughs) So God shows us what he is looking for and what he's wanting And he dictates it to us in the book of James. So look what it says in James chapter 1, verse 21. He shows us something out of this particular chapter, but even more specifically, this specific book. He says, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. Filth and evil there does not necessarily dictate sin, although it can... It can sin can come under the umbrella of that, but it doesn't necessarily mean sinful things because there's things that are not sinful but that are evil because they are anti-God. There are some things that are not immoral, but they are ungodly because they go against God's word. Are y'all following me? So pen, or the pen of James says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Look at this. And humbly accept the word of God has planted in your hearts. For it, look what it says. For it has the power to what? Save your soul. Now let me just give you something really quick here. This is where the soul can get a little bit confusing in scripture because this Greek word right here is where we get our English word for psyche. And 
oftentimes in a church setting, we will interchangeably use heart and soul. And, and there's nothing wrong with that or, or the soul meaning. But sometimes in Scripture, when he says he's going to save your soul, he's not only referring to the part of you that's going to die and go to heaven someday. Sometimes he's referring to the here and now because he wants you to walk in completeness and be in the complete image of who he is and not just half-heartedly in the image of who he is. So it's often interchangeable with spirit, and that's understandable. But your soul or your mind, your will, your emotions, your imaginations, your affections, it can determine whether or not there is spiritual success or spiritual failure. Oftentimes as Christians, here's what we do. We come to the altar and we pray and we think by praying it's going to take care of absolutely everything. Like God is just going to come in and just physically and abstractly remove all of our failures and all of our insecurities and all of our shortcomings and we're not going to have to work at nothing. And I'm telling you that's not how God works most of the time. Most of the time, he wants you to dive into his word daily so that his word that's planted in your heart might save your psyche. We have a lot of Christians in our culture that are walking around with broken souls and broken psyches when everything about who God has created us to be was meant to walk in wholeness. So I asked myself this question. Why do great men and women fall? Whatever failure looks like or whatever falling looks like, why do they fall? And I came up with this. If you look at it, through the lens of spiritualness or biblical lens, through scriptural lens, you'll find out that things become very clear very quickly. And that is this. I'm going to give you a few examples. I don't have time to take you through the totality of the story, so I'm just going to quickly reference them. If, If whatever has caused a man or a woman to fall, a great man or a woman to fall, It's never because a lack of skill. It's never because a lack of talent. And it's never because of a lack of ability. First example I want to give you is David. David was an incredible man, was an incredible king. It is said of him that he was a man after God's own heart. But he got to a place in his life where things began to unravel and they began to unravel quickly. But it wasn't. Things were not unraveling because he wasn't good at a slingshot. And it wasn't unraveling because he didn't have great strategic uh, ability to wield a sword in war. And it wasn't because he couldn't pick up a harp and play and soothe the demons in the room. It had nothing to do with any of those things. David's life began to unravel because he didn't take care of his soul. 
The second example I want to bring to your attention is the life of Moses. He was an incredibly, uniquely gifted person and definitely marked and ordained of God to be a deliverer of his people. But when you look at the, in fact, in our day and language, we would say he is a very influential leader. We would call him that. But if you look at the end of his life, things really did not end well with Moses. He was promised the promised land, and he was promised to lead people into the promised land. But because of his soul, he could not go in. God puts things like this in Scripture so that we won't sanitize Scripture. God puts things like this in Scripture so we won't deify the people that we're reading about and understand that we, like them, are human beings and we have to have the same compassion, grace, mercy, repentance, justice that they did and we have to go about it the same way. So even Moses, I want you to understand that even Moses, he had incredible I love preaching and teaching about Moses because of his simple, immaculate encounters that he had with God. But I want you to understand this. His encounters with God did not fix his soul. He dealt with an anger issue when he was being raised in Pharaoh's house. He dealt with an anger issue once he got to become of age and he ended up murdering a fellow Egyptian. He dealt with anger issues when he was carrying the Ten Commandments and he walked down the mountain and because people weren't worshiping God the way they said they was and they had built it, he gets angry and he breaks the very writings of God, has to go back up in and say, God, can you give me a duplicate copy of what? Because I let my soul run my life and then at the end when God says speak to the rock and because of anger again because what happened he never dealt with a hole in his soul was he a man of God yes was he doing great exploits for God yes but he still lost it in the end I'm not saying he went to hell but he didn't fulfill the fullness of what God had for him because he wouldn't deal with his soul He wouldn't deal with his soul. You don't think God tried to cause situations to happen in his life so he would deal with his soul? He did. He gave him a sister called Miriam. He did. He gave him a brother called Aaron. He did. He gave him 70 elders to deal with. And then he gave him about over a million people to be the pastor of. Certainly one of those relationships should have helped him fix his soul. (laughs) But when you think prayers get you out of everything, and when you think that there is no partnering with the Holy Spirit, we will live our life fractured and broken in our soul. Saved, yes, but fractured in our soul. Going to heaven, yes, but not fulfilling everything that God intended. Being, being considered great among men and women, yes, but deep down inside knowing, oh, this still is here. He never dealt with his soul. The third person I'd like to bring to your attention is the example of Solomon. He was one of the wisest men to ever live. He was one of the wealthiest men to ever live, and he wore David's crown. Get that. A man after God's own heart, a man that was going to be known as the son of David, was going to be Messiah. And Solomon, 
puts that crown on his head and gets to build the temple. He was the ultimate expression and the ultimate epitome of what we would call success. He had money. He had a crown, a title. He had wisdom beyond anything that you could. He could tell you anything about anything. But I want you to understand this. All you have to do is open up the book of Ecclesiastics, which he wrote. And you can find through the book of Ecclesiastics, you'll see a man that is empty, a man that is unhappy, a man that is distraught, a man that is distracted, and thought relationships would fix everything. If I could just get another relationship, if I could just get another relationship, didn't fix nothing. Why? Because Holy Spirit wanted to deal with the soul. It, he lost it in the end. Again, when I say lost it, I'm not talking about going to hell. I'm talking about he did not fulfill the complete purpose that God had for him because he didn't watch out for his soul. So we should always ask ourselves this question, and we should always allow this question to be asked of us. How is your soul? It should never offend you. If your pastor, a teacher, a mentor of yours, somebody whom you've given authority and voice in your life, Amika, how's your soul? They're not asking me, am I still saved? You know what they're asking me? Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with the deficiencies in my life? Am I allowing the penetration of the Word of God to fill any holes in my life? Because there will be some of us in here, hopefully many of us in here, that will one day be in a position of headship of some sort in ministry, whatever level that may be. And you're going to have people who come to you with, with issues, with problems, with prayer requests. And you're going to have to understand, I had to, had to deal with a soul issue. You're going to have to deal with the soul issue. How's your mind? How's your will? What's your imagination? In other words, what are you thinking about? What are you allowing to run through your mind? What are you being uh, emotional about that you should not be emotional about? What is affecting you? What I have come to realize, and I'm going to try to wrap, I have so many more notes, but I'm going to try to wrap some of this up really quickly here. What I've come to realize in my years of ministry and just being an adult is this, and this is probably not proper English, but it's effective English. (laughs) You'll know what I'm talking about. Some badness is a direct result of brokenness. Some of the badness in our life has zero to do with spiritual warfare or the devil. It has to do with brokenness in our life. Now, the enemy can exploit that brokenness, and the enemy can press on that brokenness, and he can use it divisively, But some of that is a direct result of brokenness. And until we deal with brokenness of the soul, it will be difficult to remedy the badness in our life. Until we 
become emotionally honest. The one thing that I love about David, specifically reading through the book of Psalms, is you can read through a lot of those Psalms and you can see where on one, one time he's writing about Messiah and just all this glory surrounding it. And then the next, the very next Psalm, he's writing about God. Let the, let the children be fatherless and let the wife be a widow. In other words, you know what he's saying? He's like, kill that enemy of mine. He's being very vulnerable with his emotions to God. Because if you can't be vulnerable to God, who already knows everything, you might as well not hide it. Because he knows whether you're placating with words or not. So a God that's all-powerful, all-knowing, and omniscient and knows everything, you might as well just... So I'm not saying you got to get on Facebook and blast everything, but I'm saying in your personal time, it's okay to be raw and real with a God that already knows your emotions are raw and real. And when I get emotionally genuine with myself, then I notice that those are the times that God can deal with my emotions. And when God deals with my emotions, then I become restored in a place that I used to operate out of deficiency. But because now I have dealt with it, I have been genuine with myself, therefore I could be genuine with God. God can say, now, Amika, I can touch that right there. And for the meantime, for this space of time, guard it, Amika, guard it until there's proper healing. Guard it. Don't let the enemy steal your healing. Guard it. Put some boundaries in place so that nobody else affects that until there is complete restoration and complete healing. And then, then you can remove those boundaries and stand on a place called healed and be a testimony of God's faithfulness and God's goodness. Amen? Amen. Let me show you this. Look what it says in Proverbs 27, 23. This is a proverb. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. If we need to evaluate, this is King Solomon, we just mentioned him. If we need to evaluate and examine our assets externally, how much more do we need to do that internally? If the proverb was telling us to assess things outwardly and our external assets, surely there's an importance to do the same thing inwardly and access what's going on inwardly. The reason I even bring this up is because of the statement that I just made, that, that some badness is a consequence or a result of brokenness. Now, when I say brokenness, immediately there's some in this very room, I can hear it in your conscience, saying, that word doesn't apply to me. I am not broken. But I want to tell you something. You erroneously assume that because you're not currently going through a breakup. Your mom and dad didn't abandon you. Your mom and dad maybe never got divorced. You never felt like you was a victim. But I'm here to tell you, every single person has some kind of brokenness in them. A broken world into a broken family system, a structure that was tainted by sin and unrighteousness. Now, my brokenness may look different from your brokenness, 
but brokenness is brokenness. And we may even have the same brokenness and the effects of my brokenness might go inward and yours might go outward. So the fruit of the brokenness or the action of the brokenness might differ wildly, but the brokenness is the same and that's why Holy Spirit has to penetrate that. Everyone's soul is broken to a certain degree. Everyone may not be dealing with heartbreak, but everyone has or has had a broken heart to some degree. And when I'm saying heart, I'm saying soul. These are called soul wounds. Put this quickly up. Let me show you some of these. These are called soul wounds. Why are they called soul wounds? Because they cause internal bleeding. Internal bleeding is very complicated when you're referring to internal or emotional bleeding because it's your bleeding inside and you don't even know it. When you are bleeding physically on the outside, you know it, you see it, you feel it. Other people can see it. And because they see it, they can address it. And when it gets addressed, pressure gets put on it. Some, some kind of tourniquet, some kind of band-aid, some kind of stitching, something to address the bleeding before the problem gets serious. But what happens with internal bleeding is you don't realize you've been hurt. You don't realize you've been cut. And all of a sudden, you're going about your day. You have made had some kind of trauma, some, some kind of car wreck. I had a dear friend who was in a car wreck, and she kept saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good. There's nothing wrong with me. I, don't, I can move everything. There's no broken bones. I'm not bleeding. But as the night went on. She got weaker. She got lightheaded. She lost her strength. All of a sudden, she collapsed on the floor. What was going on? She was bleeding internally. She was bleeding from the inside out. But nobody knew about it. Emotionally, when pain is there, when damage is there, when destruction has happened to your soul, you are bleeding on the inside and you don't even realize it. And we try to do ministry and we're bleeding. And we try to have family relations and we're bleeding. And we try to have friendships and we're bleeding. And we're asking God, God healed me. But on the inside, we're bleeding. And then we have the nerve to blame God. God doesn't love me and he doesn't want me to have these things. No, God wants you to deal with the brokenness in your soul. We all have had to ask God to deal with the brokenness of our soul. And it looks different for all of us. And it comes out different from all of us. But here's what happens Soul wounds come from two sources. Put these up quickly, Yvette. They are the result of either commission or omission. What does that mean, Pastor Amika? It means this, commission. When people do things and say things they should not have done. That's a hurt or a soul wound of commission. Negative words spoken to you. Trust being betrayed. Breakups. Financial impropriety. Exploitation. Manipulation. All of those things called inward soul wounds. And you have to deal with them through the spirit. But then there's one called omission. And that's when people don't do things they should have done. 
It's where you should have got the affirmation and never did. It's where you should have got the understanding and never did. Quickly, let me tell you the example because Jesus is the best example for this. Before Jesus ever engages into public ministry, the Bible says that he goes down to the Jordan River and he gets baptized, and he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And at his baptism, when he comes up out of the water, the scriptures teach us that the heavens open up, that the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descends and lands on his shoulders, and then the heavenly Father begins to bolster about his only son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then, what, what is that called? That is called public affirmation. Jesus hadn't done a thing yet but be born and breathe. And his father is saying, this is my only beloved son, and I am pleased in him. Not because he's performed a miracle, not because he's going to be the Messiah, not because he's going to heal the world of its sin, because he is my son, and the fact that he's part of my DNA makes me pleased with him. Jesus immediately goes from them waters into 40 days of fasting and prayer, gets tempted by the devil, and then goes into ministry. And because he does this, listen to this, he is doing ministry now from a place of affirmation and not doing ministry for affirmation. He's doing ministry from a place of already being affirmed. Therefore, I don't need you to affirm me because I've had a heavenly father that has affirmed me. And some of us may have not had physical parents that give us the proper affirmation, but I'm here to tell you that you have a heavenly father that affirms your identity as a son or daughter of his DNA. Why? Because you were made in the exact image and likeness of who he is. And he affirms you. That's why prayer Bible study and what we call spiritual disciplines are so imperative to our daily life. We think it's so we can get more spiritual. We think it's so we can get grander revelations. We think it's so we can discover prophecy and understand how the end times come into being. All those things might happen in that time. But that is not what it's for. It's for when you are by yourself in the wee mornings of the hours of the morning or late at night or when nobody else is around and you shut off your cell phone and you shut off the TV and you just have your Bible and you say, Holy Spirit, I need something from you today. And you know what he does? Through the word of God, he says, Amika, you are my daughter. Amika, I love you with an incredible love. I want to bestow goodness and riches and mercy upon you. What does that do to my soul? It heals any kind of uh, dysfunction in my soul. And now it doesn't matter if people affirm me or not affirm me. I've been affirmed by somebody called Holy Spirit. Jesus now is able to set healthy boundaries because he doesn't need affirmation from those he's trying to serve. I'm a 
going to just say something right here. There's two camps of people. There's one that have zero boundaries. And then there's others that have so many boundaries, they themselves can't even walk. Both camps are absolutely not healthy. There are some, when you ask them, can you help serve? Can you help do? Can you stand, fill in the gap? Can you do this or that? Can you just do this for a while until somebody else gets risen up? Whatever. And if the answer is no, I've set a boundary. Now listen, there, sometimes there are clear, healthy boundaries. This is not going again. But I'm talking about some people use boundaries as an excuse. No, I can't because that's a boundary of mine. No, it's not. You just haven't dealt with pride because you think it's beneath you to do that. That went over like a lead balloon. Did you just feel the atmosphere go? No, I can't do that because that's a boundary. No, it's not. You just haven't dealt with the spirit of laziness yet. And your mind tells you to do it, but when it comes right down to it, you let the spirit of laziness take so The spirit of procrastination takes But then we have this group that they have zero boundaries because they have told themselves over and over and over, it's part of my personality. I'm just a people pleaser. No, you're not. That's unhealthy. The only one you're to please is God through the spirit. No, you are not a people pleaser. You cannot be a people pleaser if it's to the detriment of your soul. You can have the spirit of generosity. You can serve people, but you certainly cannot be a people pleaser. You must get your affirmation from the Father and His Word alone. Sometimes wounds don't show up in immorality things. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they show up in unproductive activity. And we erroneously call that a personality trait. (laughs) And whenever someone attaches a dysfunction to their personhood, they have actually misidentified themselves because that is not who God has called you to be. Other people have called you that. You may have even acted out of that. You may have even gotten routines based upon somebody else's saying something about you. I'm not saying there hasn't been action on it, but I'm saying every time you say that about yourself, you are misidentifying yourself. And when you misidentify yourself, you are aligning yourself up with the father of lies. What did Jesus do to the Pharisee? He said, you serve the father of lies and you don't even know it. How could he say that? Because what was coming out of their mouth was going anti the gospel. One person, again, I don't have time to go into this. One person you can read about is Gideon. When the angel shows up to him to introduce his calling to him, he says, you are a mighty man of valor. What did Gideon start doing? All these insecurities start rising up. 
I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm too much this, I'm too much that. You don't know who my father and mother is. All I'm here is I'm threshing wheat in this cave. I was never to go outside. I am an introvert. I am this, I'm that. And he was saying all of these things. And what was he doing? He was misidentifying himself because God had sent a messenger down to tell him, you are a mighty man of valor. And you have been called to lead this army to go against the Midianites. So, Lacey, if you wouldn't mind coming, preparing just to play something as we prepare our hearts to allow Holy Spirit to touch us. So when you see in other people or even in yourself hypersensitivity, territorialism, lack of boundaries, being the savior complex to everyone, so tender that you can't even accept critique or constructive criticism without it destroying you. Just understand whether that be yourself or whether it be people you know, that's not who they are. That's something that's happened in their life that has shaped their personality to be that. But if you or if people you lead will allow God through the Holy Spirit to reconform and begin to reconstruct, if we don't allow the forming to the word. Remember, put up that scripture from James again so I get it right. Look what James tells us. So get rid of all these things. Get rid of all these lies. See, when we think of lying, we think of somebody telling another person a lie. That is a lie. But sometimes we tell ourselves lies. Sometimes we are believing lies about ourselves that has been told to us. James says, get rid of all of this. Get rid of all of this that has been a detriment to your soul. Why? Accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For what reason, James? So it has the power to save your soul. So it has the power to make your psyche whole. So it has the power to illuminate the shalom of God, the wholeness, the peace, everything about who God is. I started this by saying, in moments like these, I have found that God sometimes does the deepest work because we don't have to worry about a lot of people or just there's just the setting is just very different and as Lacey begins to play listen to this we spoke about David earlier David had issues in his life he was rejected by his father he was mistreated by his brothers He had a certain complex about him. He was anointed to be king. He was marked by God, but he had certain things in his life that he never dealt with. To the place that even after he killed Goliath and he got to marry 
Saul's daughter got his taxes paid and got all these benefits and become the benefactor in the kingdom. Paul was, or Saul, excuse me, Saul was so abusive to him. We know it's because of a jealousy spirit. But he would spew these things out on David. Listen, I'm not saying that there's not other principles that we can't extrapolate from that uh, account and story. But I want to point out to you in the context of what we're talking about in the soul here, David put up with a lot of abuse from Saul. He was abusive to him to the place where he was threatening to kill him. That anytime David would come in his presence, he would pick up a sword. Whatever was in Saul's hand, he would begin to throw it at And he put up with it. He had the chance to kill him and didn't do it. I'm not saying that none of that was not of God. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is he put up with stuff because there was something undealt with with his soul. Can I share this with you? David loved Saul as a father figure, even though it was killing him. And many of us that are here tonight, we have affections for things that are killing our souls. May not be killing us physically, but it's killing our souls. And our souls will always determine whether we are spiritually successful or spiritually a failure. Some, sometimes I don't even, and, and, and I say this with humility of heart. Those that know me know what I'm saying. The Lord uses me a lot of times with just words of wisdom, words of understanding, words of knowledge, the gift of discernment. But sometimes, let me just say this, sometimes I don't, it's, it's not even a gift of discernment. Sometimes it's not even a word of knowledge. I can tell what's going on in a person's soul based on their level of spirituality. There's some people that go like this, up and down, up and down in their spirit. What is going on? I may not know the detail, but I know they're dealing with something in their soul. Because as your soul goes so does your life. One more thing. Stand with me all over so you can be stretched out. In the book of John, chapter 12, it speaks of somebody named Mary from Bethany who comes to anoint Jesus' feet. There's a whole other thing that I love about this, but for the sake of time, I'm, I'll get into that at a later date. But let me point out one thing to you that is very significant. Specifically that this is a singles conference, it's specifically significant to that. Is that Mary brings her alabaster box of costly fragrant oil, breaks it, and anoints Jesus with it. This is not the sinner woman that I'm referring to. This is Mary, Lazarus' sister, Martha's sister. And if you read into some commentaries, now outside of, there's, she's only mentioned three times, and we don't really know too much about 
their life, what happened afterwards. We don't know anything like that. Just based on assumptions, based on culture, and based on certain things that we do know about, they can kind of piece together some things. They believed her to be younger in nature for the fact that she was living with an older sister and her brother. They Obviously, we don't know what happened to the parents. We don't know if they live in a dead, but some assumed her, the parents to be dead, the fact that all three siblings were still living together in one house. Because she was still living with her sister and brother, there is a healthy assumption that she herself was not married. She would have been living with her husband. So the fact when Jesus comes in and she takes this alabaster box or jar brings it to Jesus, busts it open, anoints his feet, weeps with him, and he says, prepares his body for what he was about to go through. Get this. Many commentators believe that this, where did this single woman get such a costly, fragrant oil that they say was probably worth a year's wages. And for a single woman, this would have been a tremendous amount of money whom was under the authority of an older brother. Where did she get this kind of money? Many scholars can assume and piece together that this probably was her dowry. You say, Pastor Mika, I don't know what that is. In biblical days, Women and their parents would give a dowry to the future bridegroom. Ooh. Because engagements lasted so long that the moment you became engaged, you were considered married, although the fulfillment of covenant had not yet been happened and the consummation of marriage had not yet happened. You were considered betrothed to, and it dealt with the same consequences as if you was married. So if, if it was a year long, the, the bride or the bride's parents would give a dowry, an insurance, if you will, that if the bride changes her mind, after all the preparations have been made, here is something of value for you to the bridegroom-to-be. That puts a whole new filter on this story. When this now single woman has something that was either given to her by her parents or now her older brother who would have assumed the authority of her life, to bring such a costly oil to somebody that she has sat and heard his words and he raised her brother from the dead and she walked with him and she hosted him and she's seen him at work and she believed him to be her Messiah. You are my bridegroom and what I have of value is not worth as much to me. You know what she was saying when she broke it at his feet? She was saying, I entrust my relationships to you. I entrust everything about the authority of my life 
to you. I'm willing to give what I would give to another human being. I am giving it to you. And Jesus said, wherever my story will be told about me, they're also going to say what she did. He had never seen a woman like this before. Everything that I've saved up to my life, my parents, and the authority in my life, it's not even worth of value to me if I don't have you in it, Jesus. She broke it out on his feet. She anointed his feet. She anointed his head with oil and prepared him for his ministry to take away the sin of the world. 